Union with Christ and the resurrection. That's our theme as we move toward Easter Sunday in just a few weeks. So we think about the resurrection on that Sunday, and we'll talk about that in depth on that Sunday morning. But as we think about that, we have to understand that it's on, on the basis of that resurrection that we can have, that we are in union with Christ. As I said earlier, you and him and he and you, that, that union of oneness and unity that is inexplicable by just human description almost. And yet it's something that we are to know. It's something that we are to pursue. It's something that we, we are to acknowledge. And, and ultimately, I think it's something that we are to pray about and pray that we have a deeper understanding of. Our text this morning is going to be Galatians 2.20, but I want, you to, I want to start somewhere else, maybe several other places before I come back to that, kind of in getting ready for that. I want you to think about, if you were in Sunday school this morning, you were in Ephesians chapter 1. And in Ephesians chapter 1, you, you heard these words as we've been talking about the prayers of Paul. And you, you studied and you thought about Paul making this statement in verse 18 of chapter 1. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened I, I, so, that, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at, the right hand, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. The Apostle Paul writing there and talking about prayer and talking about what he prays for the Ephesian Christians and Ephesian church I don't think is at all unlike what we're talking about in praying for a greater understanding of unity and oneness and union with Christ. As a matter of fact, when he says, you know, pray that your heart may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Folks, the riches of the glory of his inheritance to you, if you are a believer, is that you have been made in Christ. You have been called by His Holy Spirit. You have been given a unity with Him that is unknown to the whole human race apart from a redemptive relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that kind of makes me want to shout a little bit because it is, it's so glorious when you start thinking about it. And so Paul says, this is what I'm praying for, for you at, at, at Ephesus, and I, I think by extrapolation, if you will, we can say this is what Paul is praying for, for you at grace and for me at grace, that our eyes might be enlightened, our eyes might be open, that we might see what the glory of his inheritance is, and that inheritance comes through this and in this union with Christ. Last week, we looked at, at Romans chapter, uh, chapter 6, and, and in those verses, we, we saw that the Apostle Paul said in verse 5, he said, for if we have become united with him, union, in union with him, in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. 
If we have died with him, we will live with him. If we have died with him, we will be resurrected with him. If we are in Christ, there is this miraculous thing that takes place in the believer's life. We call it the new birth. We, we call it regeneration. We call it the Christian life. And Paul is just simply saying there, I want you to know that is yours in Christ Jesus for everyone who believes. You, you know, there's several things about that verse that just really, I think Paul is talking about that he's packing into one little verse, one little statement, if you've died with him, you'll rise with him. I think he's talking about the fact that in this union, Christ becomes wisdom for you. He becomes wisdom for you, and he overcomes your blindness and your dullness of spirit, and he gives you wisdom and sight to see what the Christian life is all about. In this death and resurrection that we experience with him, he, he becomes our wisdom. I think it also means he becomes our righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness. He becomes righteousness for you, and this overcomes your guilt and your condemnation. Folks, you stand guilty in your, in your own self, in your own, uh, uh, own person. You stand, stand, stand guilty of sin and rebellion. And, and, and you are a sinner. There, there's no way around that. It's just a reality. But in Christ, we are clothed with his righteousness, and that overcomes our sin, it overcomes our rebellion, it overcomes our guilt and our condemnation. In other words, the wrath that was, that was deserving of us has been poured out on him and has been deflected away from us because of his righteousness. This union with Christ not only becomes your, his righteousness in you and for you, but it becomes sanctification for you and overcomes your corruption and your pollution. We are born again. We're made new. We are justified. We are, are, are imputed with his righteousness. But there's still, there's still a lot to be cleaned up in our life. That's why this morning I, I, in the prayer time, I, I just said to you, pray that God would show you any sin in your life that needs to be swept away, any sin in your life that is keeping you from having uh, that, that union relationship that is rich and deep and pure, any sin in your life that's keeping you from walking in Him as you ought to walk, whatever idol it is that's there, and ask Him to cleanse it away, clear it away, wipe it out. It becomes our sanctification to overcome the pollution and the corruption that remains. And in this union with Christ, he becomes our redemption. Our ultimate, complete, total redemption. And in this, he overcomes, in the end, all the miseries and pain and the futility of life that comes from sin and guilt, things like sickness and death. If you look over just a little bit, in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, I love how he says there, he says, And not only this, but we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, that's union in Christ, union with Christ, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption, that is our full adoption as sons, that is the redemption of our body. Paul says, listen, I know we've been redeemed spiritually, I know we've been redeemed, and the penalty of sin has been paid for. This body of mine still groans. It groans with sickness. It groans with pain. It groans with disappointment. 
it groans with disappointment in myself, never disappointment in him, but disappointment in myself that I am not all that he has called me to be. There's a groaning within this body. And Paul says we long for the day when that groaning will be totally wiped away because we will be completely redeemed, totally saved out of this world, not only from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin and from the presence of sin. We will be adopted as sons into his presence in his holy home. So it's our wisdom, it's our righteousness, it's our sanctification, it's our redemption in every sense of the word. Do you want to be free? Do you want to be set free from the blinding effects of spiritual ignorance? Do you want to have the righteousness of Christ credited in your account and be accepted and acquitted at peace? justified by God? Do you want to have the sanctifying power of Christ in your life helping you overcome that sin that has been canceled in your life but still you struggle with on a day-by-day basis? Do you want to be delivered from the end, in, in the end from misery and death? If you do, then I pray that you will learn what it means to cherish your union with Christ. Cherish daily the fact that I have been crucified. I have been set free. And and as Paul said in Romans 6 and Romans 8, and he said in Ephesians chapter 1, I I want you to be enlightened. I want you to know. I want you to live in light of of this expression of freedom that God has given to you. And it all comes because you are in union with Christ. You're like that branch hanging on to the vine. You're drawing your nourishment, you're drawing your strength, you're drawing your passion, you're drawing your focus, everything you have. And the fruit that you bear is being drawn, not out of yourself, but out of that vine to which you are attached. And if you're a believer, your vine is Jesus Christ. And if you're a believer, you're in union with that vine. You're not just kind of hanging on. You're in union with that vine in a newness of life. Do you see that? It's the glory of this. It's the freedom of this. And, and we can look at so many texts. I mean, we can look at 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In him, union with Christ. Him taking our sin on the cross and him giving us his righteousness by imputation. I mean, that's the greatest exchange that ever took place in the world. In all time, in all history. You've exchanged things before. You've given something that has some value to you for something that has greater value. Uh, You may be taking money and exchanged it for a possession that you want to have. That's an exchange that takes place. You give something and you get something. Well, in this exchange that took place on the cross, it's all the work of God in Jesus Christ. And he exchanged our sin for his righteousness in union with him. And that's the glorious truth of union with Christ. And that's all the introduction I'm going to give you. We'll get to the sermon now. But that's important, folks, to recognize and realize that all this stuff fits together. What you talked about in the prayer of Paul this morning in Ephesians and what we talked about last Sunday morning out of of Romans chapter 6 and what we're going to talk today about out of Galatians chapter 2 all fit together in the gloriousness 
of union with Christ. I told you last week, if you, if you start reading your text looking for this, reading your Bible looking for this, you'll see union in every place. Every place. We are in Christ. That's union. Christ is in us. That's union. And he became one with the Father that we might become one with them. That's union. In John 17, it's just, it's everywhere when you start looking for it. But Galatians chapter 2 is to me one of the most emphatic statements about union with Christ that you will find in all of the Scripture. It's one of the most emphatic statements about what it means to be one with Him and what happens to bring that about. And it's Paul after he's, I mean, he's been critical of these Galatian Christians. He said things like, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. These Galatian Christians were following after idols. They were following after false teaching. They were denying the Christ who saved them. They were, they were acting like they had to come back now and add the law onto it and add their good deeds onto it, and, and God would save them if they could just do it good enough. I mean, they were, they were adopting legalism that made any Bible Belt church blush. They were so legalistic. And this is what Paul says to them. He's already talked about starting, let's just start in verse 15. There's too much there to just start at 20. I really ought to read the whole book, but I won't. 15, we are Jews by nature and not sinners among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. Now Paul is simply saying there, look, I had, every, I had every reason to think I was being made right with God, justified with God because of my good deeds. Look at Philippians chapter 3. Paul goes into the whole catalog there and says, I was this, I was this, I was this, I was this. And now, then he says, and all that now is like rubbish. All that's like garbage. Because it's like garbage in relationship and in view of knowing Christ Jesus and having a righteousness that's not my own, not derived from the law, but that comes through faith in Christ, faith in God through Christ. So, so Paul understands this thing about trying to be justified by law, by good deeds, whatever. Paul says, verse 70, but if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves also have also been found sinners... Is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. For if I rebuilt what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For, though the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Now listen to this. I have been crucified with Christ. Talked about that a little out of Romans chapter 6 last week. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. Don't you see what he's saying here? 
He's saying, first of all, that we have to recognize that in the death of Christ, we died. For I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. It's no longer I who live. I have died with Christ, and, and, and so I have been united with him in his death. The first thing that ought to do for us as believers is it ought to help us get our focus off of me and onto him. It ought to get our focus off of our idols and things in our life that seem to crowd him out and get our focus on him and what it means to be in him and him in me. That union, that, that oneness, that, that relationship, that fellowship with Christ that comes. You know what the biggest damager in most Christian lives really is? It's, it's the destroyer of most Christian marriages if there's problems. It's the destroyer of families. It's the destroyer of our culture. I'm going to give you something really profound here this morning. Write it down. Don't forget it. It's selfishness. Self-centeredness. You know, the truth of the matter is, selfishness is virtually the same as pride, and it's a deep, broad corruption that, that's at the bottom of everything that takes place in our life. And quite honestly, selfishness is the fuel to idolatry. Selfishness is the fuel to idolatry. You see, my, my, selfishly, my, my selfishness is really a, a reflex in my expectation to be served by others. I want you to serve me. I want you to meet my needs. You see that in, in marriages sometimes. You know, you meet my needs, then I'll meet yours. Doesn't work that way. You meet that your partner's needs first, and then in response, it'll go that way. But you can't demand it and then say, if you will, I will. Doesn't work that way. But selfishness fuels our idolatry by expecting to be served. It, it's also a reflex to really just the feeling that I'm owed something. You know, I deserve something. I, I, I've done good. I've worked hard. I, I deserve it. And, and you des I deserve for you to give me respect and honor. And, and I, I, I just deserve that. Don't, don't you think that way sometimes? Or it's a, a desire for praise. It's a desire for praise. Selfishness says, hey, praise me. Look what I did. Look who I am. It's also a reflex of our life, the old nature, just really expecting things to go my way. One of the biggest fuelers of idolatry in a person's life is, I want it going my way, and if I don't, I will complain and grumble until it does. It's also the just a feeling that I have the right to react neg negatively if anybody does cross me. Now, I don't want to get into confession business here, but boy, that hits a lot for me when I'm driving in Somerset, Kentucky. I have bad thoughts. I have to confess them. I have to deal with them. Somebody cuts me off. Somebody's driving 20 in a 55-mile zone, you know, Somebody, you can go on and on, runs a red light when I need to go. I mean, I, you know, boy, some, they, I have a right 
fat, react negatively to them is, is the whole idea of selfishness. And that carries over to every area of our life. Selfishness fuels idolatry because what we find ourselves saying is, is I want that and I deserve that and I've earned that and if I don't get that, whatever it is, it might be respect, it might be a new house, it might be, a, it might be a, just being happy in my own self. It doesn't matter. That fuels idolatry, and idolatry has no place in the life of the man, the woman, the young person who have been crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Union. Union with Christ. You say, well, I don't, hmm, I don't, I don't look a lot like Christ. It must be me alive and not him alive because I'm just like I always have been. Then there's a problem. Paul would say. You're not reckoning yourself as dead to sin, reckoning yourself dead to self, reckoning yourself dead to the one who would seek to destroy you, and reckoning yourself alive to him who gave you life. I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I that live for my own selfishness, for my own desires, for everything I want, but Christ lives in me. goes on to say now I recognize the life which I now live in the flesh I am still in the flesh my heart still beats my lungs still work I'm still alive physically so we know Paul's talking about something that is, that's more significant and deeper than just physical life The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Gave himself for me. Purchased me. So if we, in the death of Christ we died, we also have to recognize that in the death of Christ we were bought. We were purchased. 1 Corinthians 6 says, you are not your own for you were bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You can't say, this is mine. I, I, this is my life. I'll live it like I want to. Oh, no, 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 no. Your life, if you are in Christ, has been bought, paid in full by the blood of Christ. Therefore, Paul goes on after saying, you are not your, you're not your own, but you are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. This belongs to him. Total payment. My debt of sin wiped out and canceled. So he says your focus ought to be, to those Corinthian Christians who are struggling with this, just like we struggle with it, your focus ought to be that as long as I remain in this body, Christ is my Lord, Christ is my Savior, Christ is my Redeemer. As long as I'm in this body, I will seek to glorify Him with all that this body does. So that means there's certain things we'll avoid. 
you can name off all sorts of bad things you'll avoid. I won't destroy this body with, with things that are harmful. I, I won't give over to drugs and, and abuse of alcohol and abuse of, of, of tobacco and abuse of things that will harm the body. This body's been bought. It's not mine. It belongs to Christ. He's bought and paid for it, and he's alive in me, and I'm to do everything I can to bring glory to him through the body. Pretty amazing. It goes on to say, we died with Christ. In the death of Christ, we were bought, purchased. And thirdly, in the death of Christ, we were forgiven. You know, we want to start there, don't we? Typically, when we're talking to somebody about the gospel, we want to start with, hey, you can have your sins forgiven. That's good. It's a great thing. But I'm afraid sometimes we short-circuit the understanding of union with Christ and the gospel when we just say, hey, you know, you come to Christ, your sins are all forgiven. And we hear that sometimes in, in our carnality and, and outside of Christ. We say, oh, shoot, I'll sign that card. I'll raise my hand. I'll do whatever it takes just to get those things forgiven and get them behind me. Then I'm okay. Paul says that forgiveness comes through union with Christ where you die his death with him and you're, not, you're united with him in the likeness of his death. And that's what brings about the forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just because you raised your hand or even walked an aisle, even went through a baptismal pool. Forgiveness comes by being united with Christ. So, Paul said to the Ephesian Christians that we are forgiven. And in verse 32 of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he says, God in Christ forgave you. He, he forgave you of your sin. He has set you free from that penalty. And he's setting you free from the power. And one day he'll set you free from the presence of it. I mean, what a glorious thing in this justification, sanctification, and in glorification. We're moving toward that. He says, God in Christ forgave you. Then he added, be kind to one another on the basis of that. By the way, if you're in my mine and Todd's class at night, you'll get all this again tonight. Because it just fits. God in Christ forgave you, therefore, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Huh. Forgiving one another. I've died, I no longer have rights, I no longer can, can demand my way, I no longer can expect that everything will go the way I want it to go, and no longer say I deserve this or I deserve that. I have, I have died to all that, I'm living in Christ, and now somebody hurts me, somebody does something I don't like, our initial response ought to be, I forgive you. Not, not because you even asked for it, and not because you're, you're just a, a good person, you're going to do something nice to me now because you did something bad. But I forgive you because <laughs> that sin against me was nothing compared to my sin against Christ, against God. And Paul lays down some pretty heavy uh, 
expression here. He says, God gave, and Christ forgave you. In your union with Christ, he forgave you. Now be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another in that very same vein that he's forgiven you in the same way. So when somebody hurts you, somebody is mean to you, somebody takes something you wanted, your response ought to be, I, I, I forgive on the basis of the fact that God has forgiven me of so very much. You've got to see the importance of this union. You've got to understand that. You've got to pray as Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians. Lord, open their eyes, enlighten their eyes to see. Help them to understand this. It's, it's that important. You've got to pray that. You got to see what it means that where there's the link between the cross and my conquered sin. And the, the link between those two is the Holy Spirit that is empowering my will now. The, the whole Trinity's involved in it. Christ, God in Christ has forgiven you. You have died with Christ. And now the Holy Spirit empowers your will, He changes your will. Oscar Thompson, dear brother, my evangelism professor in seminary, died of cancer at about 42 years of age. But Oscar used to say, when the Holy Spirit does a work in your life, he changes your willer. He changes your wanter. He changes you from wanting selfish things to wanting what Christ wants, desiring Him. I love how Paul puts it, in, and Peter puts it in, in so many different ways. Just hear this and we'll be done. In Romans 7, 6, Paul writes, But now we have been released from the law, having died to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. We serve in newness of the Spirit. You know, the old covenant, you had the laws written on stone and you tried to live up, you tried to do it in the spirit living in our life. We have the law of God, the truth of God written on our hearts and on our minds. The spirit has given us life, not the oldness of the letter. Doesn't mean it's unnecessary, doesn't mean it's unimportant, but it means now God has transferred that within us and given us the spirit, the ability to obey that we didn't have before. Changed our water. Romans 8, 13, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. We put sin to death by the Spirit in Christ. Or 1 Peter 4, 11, whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We serve, but we serve in the strength that God supplies. And it's a blood-bought, God-given strength. So I, just don't, I can't do anything. You know, I can't really serve the church. I can't serve Christ in the body. I just, then you're calling God a liar. Because he said, I've gifted you if you're in Christ. I have given you spiritual gifts with which to serve within the body. And, he, and God never intended for anybody to be involved in the body of Christ and just be a spectator. Never. Or 1 Corinthians 15.10. 
By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. We work. We have a responsibility to work. We have a responsibility to be involved in missions, evangelism, service, caring for the widows and the orphan, caring for the poor, reaching out to those who are, are, are less fortunate we are. I mean, there's all sorts of things that we are responsible for in Christ. And we work, but you've got to realize if you're in Christ, it's the grace of God that is working in your working. And all the glory goes back to Him. In every single case, I am working, I am willing, I am serving, I am putting sin to death. My will is engaged in every case, but in every case, my will is empowered by another will. The will of the Spirit. The will of Christ. The will of God. The will of grace. So Paul says, I want you to see, I've been crucified with Christ. And that's your testimony. If you're a Christian here this morning, you've been crucified with Christ. And you no longer live, at least not to yourself. You live in the flesh, you live in the body, but you're alive to God through Jesus Christ, he says. And, and now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me and bought me. And then I, I love this last phrase in verse 21. I'm going to close with this. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you can do anything in obedience to the law to be right with God, if you can do anything in your life to say, I'm good enough, I'm holy enough, I'm deserving enough of newness of life if anyone in this room or anyone in this world can say that then then the death of christ was a needless tragedy I just got to tell you a good man died for no reason the problem is as paul said up there earlier in 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 galatians knowing this that man is not justified by works of the law but through faith in Christ Jesus. But we made faith in Christ so shallow, don't you think? We made faith in Christ just saying, yeah, I believe. Faith in Christ brings about death to self, death to sin, and aliveness to God. Death, uh, faith in Christ means I've been crucified with Him. And I'm living in Him. And I'm living for Him. And I'm living for His glory. Yeah, I still go to work tomorrow morning. I still have to earn a salary to feed my family and, and, and do what I have to do. But I don't see it as, as all this is what I deserve. This is for me. It's somehow to be also for the glory of Christ, the glory of God, the glory of the Holy Spirit, the glory of the gospel.
Union with Christ. <laughs> it's going to kill you. So that you can live. Union with, union with Christ. It's going to tear down the idols. It's going to wreck your selfishness. Oh, maybe not all at once. Union with Christ is going to change you for your good and for His glory. Will you pray with me? Father, this concept is so permeated, your word. It permeates it everywhere. This concept is so freeing. How have we neglected it? How have we been so shallow to say, well, it's just saying I love Jesus. The gospel's radical, Lord. The gospel changes our lives radically. It, it brings us in union with you. Father, while we still sin, and we still struggle with that pollution that needs to be cleaned out, Lord, your spirit, when we recognize and understand our union with you, doing a mighty work of doing just that. Father, I pray for men and women and young people here this morning who don't know you. I pray your Holy Spirit will open their eyes, even as Paul prayed for the Ephesian Christians, to enlighten their eyes, to see their need for a Savior, and to see that Jesus is the only Savior. Religion's not a savior. The Baptist church is not a savior. Grace Baptist is not a savior. Only Christ. In Christ alone, we find union with Him. And union with you, Heavenly Father, through that glorious Trinitarian relationship. Thank you, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.